All right, everybody. Welcome to episode 28, New York Times and Stem Cells. I am Dr. Christopher Fasano. He is Dr. Yosef Gannat, and this is the Stem Cell Podcast. Yosef, my man. What's up, brother? Yo, yo. How's it going? How's it going over It's there? going. It's going, man. It's going. You know, we're just uh, just another day here, uh, just uh, getting into the fall mood. I took a little bit of Halloween decorations out of my basement. I'm going to dust them off, put a little pumpkin action upstairs and get a little scarecrow thing going down. Yeah, and uh, how's it going as a Yankees fan? You uh, sad about Jeter going bye-bye? You know, I'm really sad about Jeter, but it's just been like, uh, it's been a little much, you know? It's been <laughs> it like every been day for 160 <laughs> games it's been hearing about Jeter, so I've never um, seen anything I just want like him it. to go already so I can be get over it like a Band-Aid. And, yeah. Uh, and move on to that. So, but it's good, you know. Cheater's the man. And did well, you see people are coming out trying to rip him apart in his last couple of days? I think Keith Olbermann like kind of went off on him the other night. But uh, who doesn't he go off on? I feel like. Well, speaking of New York, uh, we got uh, the New York Times in the house. Or the we do podcast. have the New York yeah. Times in the house. Yeah, we do. We have a freelance writer, Karen Weintraub, who wrote a piece on stem cells in the in Science Times. Um, and I think I have the name of the article somewhere around here. If not, we'll, 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 we'll mention the exact title when we get to the interview. But it was an interesting piece, and I, um, it was basically like a state of stem cells. Uh, the first time I read it, I had to reread it because I wasn't quite sure of the tone and the thesis of the, of the article. I got some comments from some people that were su- suggesting maybe it was a negative connotation. I know you felt that it was very neutral, and I read it again, and I was going through it. So we decided to have Karen come on tonight and talk to us about the article and shed some light on why she wrote it and, and what the meaning was about it. So we'll hear from her in a little while. Yeah, it's a little departure from uh, our usual science, uh, you know, interviewing s- stem cell scientists, but uh, it's 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 a good thing. Uh, this one No, it is a press, good thing. So. I, I like to see that stem cells in some way are getting out into main press. We just want to see, uh, you know, make sure clarify what, what, the, what the thesis of the article was, and she'll do that for us. So uh, let's see. We are the Stem Cell Podcast. We are the official podcast of the International Society for Stem Cell Research. You can uh, check them out isscr.org and you can always check us out at stemcellpodcast.com at stemcellpodcast at gmail.com at stemcellpodcast on Twitter. We're on Facebook. You know, Yosef and I, uh, we had a little business meeting down in New York City. We just came fresh off uh, fresh off that meeting. Yep. We had a beautiful uh, steak that was fantastic. And uh, we bone talked in. about different... Say it again, Yosef? Bone in. Bone in, in baby. Yeah. I had the bone in fillet. I had the bone in fillet, and Ang had the bone in ribeye. So we uh, we went bone in, and then uh, we we talked about different ways we could, you know, get you guys, the audience, better content and new stuff. So you're going to start to see some things unravel. We're going to do a whole upgrade to our website to make it more user friendly. We have this really cool thing, Yosef, that we're going to put on the website. It's it's called SpeakPipe. Have you ever heard of this thing? So. You, all the audience out there, if you go to step, when you, it's not on right now, sh- by the next show it should be, you're going to go to stemcellpodcast.com and on the right side of the homepage, it'll say leave a voicemail and you can click on it and right through your computer, you can leave us a live voicemail. So you can, you can ask us a question, you can have a comment, you can tell us you love us, you can tell us you hate us and we can use those clips and put them on the show and answer questions on the show. Um, it's a good way to engage the audience. So that's just another example of, uh, what we're doing, we're je- you know, Yosef is really hot on getting all you guys some nice T-shirts. So we're gonna we're putting those together, and uh, we're gonna get some T-shirts. Um, got some guests lined up. We're gonna we're gonna be interviewing Dr. Ginger Campbell next episode 
from the brain was it the brain podcast Joseph the yeah, brain yeah, science podcast brain si- I forget what it's called but yeah I've I've li- I, I used think to it's the brain podcast I'm pretty sure I can look that up but right now but uh, it's a really cool podcast and I really uh, it'll, that'll be different for us Yost to get a fellow uh, podcasting uh, partner uh, if you will in crime decline yeah the brain science podcast really really popular over millions of downloads uh, really great uh, so we'll have her come on the show so the audience out there check it out before. Next episode, the Brain Science Podcast. Uh, let's see, Yos. You got anything before we get into the roundup? I, I want to say uh, on Twitter, somebody. Let me find the handle. I think it was the handle was Doctor Duckface. If that's <laughs> nice right, name. I want to make sure I give her the right credit here. Let me look it up because we were talking. She, she she was saying how yeah, Doctor Duckface, <laughs> Brianna Goldstein, Brianna. I know you're listening, and so she was talking about how. Um, She's not allowed to wear headphones at the new at her new lab when oh, others are present. Why? It's just I don't know. Something about like if there's an alarm or something, she can't hear it, so she can't listen to the podcast during like lab. Like so someone was someone had tweeted at her. Um, I think this is at Kate Sai. I hope I'm getting her at. I'm looking at all these. There's so many different at ats. But someone was telling her that uh, this girl Katie at Katie Sai was telling her that you know um, you know the podcast gets her through a lot of tedious hours in the hood. And she responded by saying she can't put headphones on when she's in the lab. So I wrote her. I'm like, that sucks. Yeah. I'm like, that really sucks. I said, so try to just, what if you just put one earbud in and leave the other one open? There you go. So, so I think she's going to try that. So please, I, Dr. Duckface, uh, I think don't that's, miss out uh, on the Stem Cell Podcast. Just tuck it in. No one's got to see it. Just put a little one guy in the ear. You'll be all right. That's actually New York City law. You're allowed to wear one headphone when riding your bike so that you could hear the traffic Um yeah, so but, one head. Prob- that's probably makes sense, Yos, right? You don't want to be cruising through New York City with your hair- ears blocked Especially up, those uh, no- Bose noise-canceling headphones that I'm wearing right now. It's, it's, yeah, that would be dangerous. It's like, you know, how electric cars, they have to put, you know, the sound of a motor on it because people don't hear them coming. Um, so, yeah, to silence is not necessarily a good thing. But it's it's interesting how lab work has changed over the years. Like before the iPhone, before I started podcasting, everybody, you know, people didn't really have headphones as much in the lab. And now it's like almost everybody does. I know. And, and it I know. Leads we, to we, like, we ranted about that. Didn't we rant about music probably. in the lab? I think we did. Like well, once. about music, but it, it's, you know, sometimes it leads towards like less personable in the lab and um you know so it's always important to have those outings to to bring some of the social cohesion back but um but there's nothing better than getting into the hood and pumping some tunes or listening to something you know i just it takes your mind away sometimes sometimes you get real zoned out staring into a like a bowl of media or uh, (laughs) you know like a stack of plates just ridiculous and sometimes it really helps out to just vibe out so i hope you're gonna vibe out to us and uh so let's uh, let's move into the uh, science roundup. So the Stem Cell Podcast um, is really happy now. We have our first sponsor of the show, and the sponsor is going to really, really allow us to bring you guys some better things. And so um, the sponsor is Thermo Fisher, and they're going to present the science roundup. And um, you guys should go check this out. So they're putting on what's called the 24 Hours of Stem Cells. It's really, really awesome. Yosef and I are both giving talks in it. Um, it's, a, it's basically like a virtual conference. They have over 30 five speakers or something like that speaking at all day for 24 hours on all things stem cells it's on november 6th you can check out the there's a banner up on our website stemcellpodcast.com go check it out and go sign up and listen to yosef and i at least um 
you can hear a little bit about more about our actual lab work. And there's a ton of other scientists that you can really check it out. So go check that out at stemcellpodcast.com. That's, that's, that's a great format, by the, by the way. I, I don't think I've ever heard of an online virtual conference like this. It's so. so cool because you can go at your own time and your own pace. You can go in. And they also do have a live Q&A. So if you do have questions, like uh, I know I'll be live. They have a time where I can be there and people can type in their questions. So uh, Thermo Fisher does a good job at that. Go check it out. And with no further ado, my brother, man, let's, uh, let's kick it off. All right. So the Annals of Internal Medicine had a study showing that the low-carb diet beats the low-fat diet. Um, so the obese people that they signed up for this uh, diet study, Uh, lost 7.7 more pounds on the low-carb diet than uh, the low-fat diet. So uh, the low-carb group Mm. saw a spike in the quote-unquote good uh, cholesterol, the high-density lipoprotein cholesterol, and a decline in the ratio of bad to good cholesterol. So... Uh, sugar, 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 man. Yeah, for all those obese people, keep that in mind. Um, there was a nature chemical biology study where they developed a protein that disrupts processes that cause cancer cells to metastasize. So they targeted two proteins, one called Axel, like Rose from uh, Guns N' Roses, AXL, and uh, GAS-6 from interacting. So when gas six, two gas sixes link with two axles, you get a uh, metastasis. So uh, they used an axle mimic, mimic to grab the gas sixes in the bloodstream and prevent their binding with other axles. And uh, systemic treatment of this mimic in mice led to a 78% decrease in metastatic modules in wow. breast cancer and 90% lower in ovarian cancer. Wow. So uh, you can find that in Nature Chemical Biology. I would have loved to hang out with Axel Rose in his prime, by the way, P.S. Yeah, no, uh, I can't even. That video, uh, Welcome to the Jungle, just oh, I remember dude. when I first saw that. <laughs> That's crazy. Just, yeah, wild. Um, so, anyway. Journal of uh, Systemic Paleontology nice. uh, study uh, describing the rhino rex, which means king knows. Uh, so, this, this dinosaur <laughs> was about 30 feet long. It weighed 8,500 pounds and had a huge nose, obviously. Um, this new species was actually found in a storage unit in Brigham Young and was excavated from Utah. Nelson Formation or Nielsen Formation in the 1990s. So somebody, I guess, found it in the basement and put it together. And uh, nice, yeah, it's called uh, Rhino Rex. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there was a nature study describing that ancient northern Eurasians are now the third ancestor to U- the European family tree. Um, they mixed with the other two members, the early farmers and the hunter and gatherers. So the northern Eurasians are a new group. This group contributed DNA to present day Europeans as well as uh, those who traveled across the Bering Strait into America over 15,000 years ago. So they used DNA uh, for from the Atsi Iceman. Remember, I keep bringing him up. He was part yep. of this study as well. And of uh, all the populations from the Caucasus to the Near East, um, uh, the ancient Euro- uh, North Eurasians were never more than 20% of the population. So I guess they're one of the original minorities. <laughs> Dude, the your Asia has to be a, a huge area of this like planet right it's got to be over greater than half the popular human yeah. population yeah i mean 
Eurasia. It's all of Europe and Asia, right? I'm not just like, yeah. Since I'm uh, half obvious. Persian or Iranian, my one of my friends teases me and calls me Asian. I'm like, dude, I'm not. There's no way. I, I'm more Mel, half Middle Eastern than I am Asian. <laughs> but he just does it to like. I'm like, that's like from the you know back when North America was bit. Those are the old maps when Asia was yeah, just like old maps. <laughs> anyhow, um, there was. Let's see here. Ooh, I lost my. Uh, I turned my iPhone the wrong way. I lost my notes. Here we go. Uh, PLOS computational biology study showing that uh, the precision with which people make decisions can be protected by measuring pupil size. I thought this was funny. Um, so this PLOS study, uh, they found that people with bigger pupil sizes, you know, that like doe eye look, uh, yeah. the, the larger the pupil size indicated poor, um, performance on, uh, the test performance due to, uh, more variability in the decisions that they made. So just, Whoa. yeah, that, I guess that doe eyed look doesn't bode well for, uh, task performance in their model. So. I don't know what that has to do with intelligence, but I guess if you you got that look, you're you're not uh, as busy up there upstairs. So <laughs> there there was a nature communications study showing that facial uh, traits are more variable than other bodily traits, and uh, the individual traits of the face don't really affect other uh, traits. So. They analyzed the genomes around the world and found more variation in the genome regions controlling facial characteristics uh, more than other areas of the genome. So it's a sign that uh, this variation is evolutionarily advantageous. So you can find that in Nature Communications. there was an immunity study showing that gut microbiota can enhance the effectiveness of the flu vaccine in mice. So really? uh, this is via TLR5, uh, which is normally produced in reaction to flagellin from bacterial flagella. And this innate immune system reaction acts as an adjuvant for virus protection. So uh, that's an immunity there was uh, dude. If you, you if you ever have a child, can you name him Flagella? <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> there was a nature discover discovery of a black hole in an ultra compact dwarf galaxy, um, or UCD. Uh, so this is about 100 million stars spanning a couple of hundred light years. So uh, as like our Milky Way has about 219 million stars spread across a hundred thousand. So uh, light years, so this one's a, a lot smaller. But uh, using the Hubble telescope, they found that this uh, compact dwarf galaxy named M60 UCD1, again, horrible names, has a supermassive black hole, making it the smallest ga- galaxy ever discovered to have one. Wow. Yeah. Uh, there was a science paper showing that OCT4 and ASF1A are the soluble factors in egg in the egg um, that's responsible for reprogramming. I don't know if you saw this. They analyzed over 5,000 genes. Remember we talked about this with Dieter? I was like, yeah, what, we did. What, what's in that egg that's like causing somatic DNA to get reprogrammed? And apparently OCT4 and ASF1A are uh, two of the soluble factors. Uh, there was a physical review X paper showing what is that Malcolm X? What is that? It's, 
X. Uh, maybe it's a 10. X I don't factor. know. Physical review X paper showing that uh, they could create solid light by making photons interact with each other by assembling 100 billion atoms of superconducting material to create a sort of artificial atom and placed it next to a superconducting wire containing photons. And via quantum entanglement, which I think is one of the craziest phenomenons in the world, uh, the photons took on some of the characteristics of the artificial atom and uh, were akin to phases of matter. So imagine making matter out of light. It's it's pretty interesting. Yes, so, I, I imagine that all the time. Yeah. So hopefully this will lead to a room temperature sem- superconductor, which would be awesome because, you know, uh, superconducting would uh, really just like in, if we could get a room temperature one and not have to, f- you know, get like... M- almost like zero Kelvin temperatures to get these superconductors to you'd have like super fast computing and quantum computing almost. So uh, you can find that in physical review X. Um, There was a nature study where they mapped uh, many galaxies and found us to be in a super cluster of galaxies known as Lanakia. Lania Kia. I don't know. Ikea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll I'll post it on the website, but it's a pretty cool study. You got to see like the images, how they basically map the galaxy. It's pretty cool. There's a PNAS study where they put P-NAS. human. Yes, our favorite journal. Uh, they f- uh, put human FOXP2 gene. You know the gene responsible yep. for language uh, in mice, and uh, I guess there's just a two amino acid difference between our two species, and found that mice had better learning task uh, uh, with when it required them to convert declarative memories into habitual ones. So therefore, FOXP2 makes it easier to turn mindful actions into behavioral routines. Uh, The gene appears to be involved in regulation of synaptic connections between neurons, and they also found that in enhanced dopamine activity in the striatum and more LTD, or long-term depression uh which sounds worse than it is it's a uh, some neurons do to like i guess calm down and uh which is necessary for learning new tasks and forming memories which is important for language a- acquisition so you can find that in pnas um i always find it amazing when they put like super transcription factors like that into mice uh, human I, I thought version. you were going to say that they put Fox B2 in the mouse and it started to talk. Yeah, you know, <laughs> just start reading back the results back to the scientists. Hello, Yosef. <laughs> yeah. Today. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just picture a mouse with glasses reading. <laughs> and I just pictured it apparently with an English accent. Sorry, uh, yeah, I don't yeah. know why. Well, yeah, I, I did too. Anyhow, uh, there was an American Journal of Psychiatry study where they analyzed uh, schizophrenics and they found um, gene clusters that contribute to eight different classes of schizophrenia. And uh, they analyzed 700,000 SNPs or single nucleotide polymorphisms in 4,200 schizophrenics and 3,800 healthy controls. And altogether, they found 42 clusters of genetic variations that dramatically increase risk of schizophrenia. So complicated map out yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, there was an, oh man, I'm kind of debating. I was debating if I should. Uh, do this one, but I'm going to do it because it's nature reviews, uh, urology. So uh, they basically killed off the idea of the Grafenberg spot. Do you know what the Grafenberg spot is? No. no. It's... Uh, do I want to know? Yeah, it's the G spot essentially. Is, okay. is So basically they're saying that it's a sensitive area, area that's part of a, 
a larger pre- pleasure center that includes the vagina, clitoris, and urethra. And as part of the study, uh, they put it as uh, basically the CUV complex. And so they, they killed off the idea of the G-spot, essentially, or grafted. So or they something. just wrote it off like it's there's no more G-spot? Yeah, I put it in, like, I posted this, I think, on one of my social media things. And I had a friend of mine, she was pissed. She was like, no. This study is BS. Like it's there, and gave me directions as to where to find it. I was like, "Wow, like, okay. leave it alone." <laughs> okay, I leave guess it alone. So. so you can find that Nature Reviews Urology. Uh, there was a scientific reports discovery of a new pat- 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 how do you say pterosaur? P T E R O. I hate it when they put two consonants together like that. Pterosaur. Named. Ikandro Draco Avatar. So the Ikron are from uh, the movie Avatar, so they named it after them. So Ptorosaurs uh, first are the first flying vertebrates, and this one lived uh, about 120 million years ago during the Cretaceous period. And um, the fossils were found in China and was about 2.3 feet long with a five-foot wingspan and possibly stored its food in its beak like pelicans do. A uh, couple, few more. Uh, there was a current biology study showing that the brain can process the meaning of words even when we're dozing off, which is uh, probably why we're sensitive to our names while we sleep. So the mind's always working. Even that I know sleeping. is teaching classes now. I know, man. People will raise their hand and ask questions, and they would just be out. They'd yeah. be sleeping and falling asleep, but they yeah. can still hear. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, there was a nature neuro study showing that people with beta amyloid deposits have more brain activity for more detailed and complex memory items, indicating a compensation process there so um that's a nature neuro as well as this study where they uh tied honesty to regions of the brain that control automatic impulses so the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex uh in that they analyzed in patients that had damaged dorsolateral prefrontal cortex so these pay, uh people were more willing to lie in order to benefit monetarily so tying this region to honesty um so that's a nature neuro uh, there was a cell paper solving the structure of an antibiotic named lactocillin, which is made from a common bacteria found in the vagina. And it kills several species of uh, uh, bacterial pathogens. And they used an, a mathematical algorithm called Cluster Finder to team. Uh, they found basically three, three, over 3,000 distinct clusters of bacterial genes. Uh, found in various sites of the human body using this cluster finder. And I will end finally with uh, just one nature study showing that artificial sweeteners induce glucose intolerance by changing the composition of the gut microbiota. So you can find that in nature. So uh, watch out for all those uh, Dude, I artificial lost it. I lost that whole thing, Yos. Oh, really? You lost it? It cut out. Yeah, well, yeah. I just kept going. <laughs> Welcome back. Out, Welcome back. And, uh, you know, Skype is screwing us over. But, uh, yeah, I, you know, since you were gone for a second, I'm just going to cover two more that you may have missed. Um, well, that I didn't say it yet, but there was a metabolomic study of a malaria drug uh, that was derived from Artemisia plant called the 
artes, artesunate, uh, which suppresses the airway inflammation. It has fewer side effects uh, from other, you know, the steroids they use, like dexamethasone. So uh, you can find that in metabolomics. And finally, I'm going to end with a clinical cancer research paper uh, describing a phase one trial of a drug called CP613 to treat my, myeloid dysphasic syndrome where uh, the bone marrow doesn't produce enough healthy blood cells but instead produces abnormal blood cells uh, showing and this drug showed remission for three years in uh, their patients so uh, the drug targets overactive mitochondria in cancer cells so that's mm. exciting stuff over there and that's it for me there was a lot in that wow uh, man Yosef was fired up tonight he just ripped off a whole yeah, bunch yeah, of studies there yeah, yeah. so uh, what you nice got nice job my man uh, alright let me see what I got I don't have it as many, um, I don't have as many papers, but it's better off anyway because we have uh, we have to get uh, Karen on. So I'm going to start uh, with with this. I saw this and uh, I put it first in line. Stem cell therapy for pets available in Huntsville, Alabama. So um, you know we we hate to see our uh, elderly loved ones start having trouble getting around, and the same apparently goes for our pets and our dogs and such. Uh, so th- this is uh, I'm reading this article and saying that they had there was this black lab 12 year old black lab who had really bad arthritis and hip dysplasia which I guess a lot of dogs as they get older get arthritis and they have difficulty walking around and stuff. So there's this procedure that they do where apparently they like take take this they take the fat and they can activate the stem cells in the fat then they inject them back into the damaged areas like you know cartilage tendons or whatever Mm -hmm. and it will has like significant benefit almost like in the neck in like a couple weeks the dogs show like that they can walk around better that they're not kind of limping around there they can they can you know they're running better this is like they're apparently saying it's like a remarkable effect so this is an actual thing you can do a peer-reviewed study or was no i don't i don't think i don't see it here it doesn't say that it is this is just i'm reading a news clipping about it it says the cost depends on your pet size and breed and averages about two thousand dollars so if you're uh if your pet's hobbling around maybe you can put some stem cells in all right let's see here Um, yet i i you know people have been talking about this for a while um has it has it been happening yet do you know if they're cloning scruffy yet Yes, they are. In fact, when I was at the World Stem Cell Summit a couple years ago, I met this man, very wealthy man, and said that um, he cloned his dog. He said that like he um, uh, he 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 sent I don't know some san- like I don't know how they did it DNA or some sort of sample somatics. I don't know what they did, dude. But like then like like I don't know how long later like out came like the dog was like sent back and it was a clone of his dog, and he said it was like he said it was like a like the dog, like knew who he was. I was like, "All right, dude, this is crazy." <laughs> but uh, point being that yes, there are cloning Scruffy. Wow. Um, all right, this was a Nature News blog. Um, it said Stap co-author Stap still lives, man. Stap co-author offers yet another recipe for stem cells. Did you see this, man? This is crazy. So you know these people, like some of the people in the author line of the Stap papers, were saying that they were trying to replicate still and they couldn't get it. Mm-hmm. So. Um, apparently, let's see here, there is this recently, uh, there was a note posted 
on Vicanti, Charles Vicanti, the guy from Brigham and uh, Women, the senior author in one of the papers. There was a note no, posted Charles on the from Harvard, right? Yes, Brigham and Women at Harvard. Mm. Vicanti's department website. It was dated third of September, and it says uh, it, Vicanti offered a second revision to the STAP protocol. So it's basically it's called a revised STAP cell protocol, and in it he highlights he just talk they talk about like. The, the new way to do it, actually. So it's below is a revised protocol to improve the chances of successfully creating pluripotent stab stem cells. And there's a point number one. We made a significant mistake in our original declaration that our protocol was easy to repeat. Uh, yeah, yeah, obviously. You think? <laughs> obviously. So now what they talk about is that you have to use ATP. Okay. So it says, it says our recent months, our lab decided to, it says like uh, they used ATP in the solution in combination with low pH, and they found that that greatly enhanced the efficiency. Um, but they didn't really report that or show that. So now they've been, in the recent months, their lab has re-explored the utility of a low pH solution containing ATP, and they found that it was actually really, really you know, quite robust. I don't know, man. But if you want to check it out, we'll put the link up. You can go read the new protocol for STAP, and maybe you guys can go out and try it. I might try it, actually, and see what happens. Well, so you could go down that rabbit hole. STAP, uh, STAP still lives. Then I was noticing, um, this is kind of a, uh, on the next here, I'll move on. Uh, this is kind of relevant to what we're going to talk to Karen about, um, and this is on stem, stem cell tourism, uh, which is this idea that you can go anywhere in the world, and these physicians and these people are, um, you know, promising treatments for all sorts of disease using stem cell therapies. There was an article, in a forum article in Cell Stem Cell called Stem Cell Tourism and Public Education, The Missing Elements by Zubin Master. And actually, uh, Paul Knopfler uh, had him on his blog at ipscell.com, and they talked about it there. And he was saying how, um, you know, the tor- stem cell tourism describes this, you know, the internet-based industry. And he said that to better inform the public, these organizations are, are starting to provide educational matter on these stem cell therapies and tor- tourism. Mm-hmm. But um, what they did is they assess these resources and they reveal a lack of comprehensive information. And so he's saying that much more effort is still needed to kind of curb this and to just make people more aware because the current resources available are just not good enough. Um, so that was in Cell Stem Cell. And then in Stem Cell Reports... Professional regulation, a, 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 professional regulation, a potentially valuable tool in responding to stem cell tourism. And so this is by uh, Amy Zarzenchi. I don't know how you say that. Sorry if I just like killed your name. Um, and this is saying that, this again, it's a growing complex stem cell tourism, is a growing phenomenon, raising concerns. And they're saying that the, that the real, they think the real problem is the physicians, right? The physicians doing it are playing a major role yeah, in this. Yeah, definitely. And they're saying that um, uh, that these these professionals, these physicians, need to be the ones regulated. This sh- this should be regulated at the level of the you know some sort of medical professional organization or something like that. So they started talking about how possibly they can do that. So um, I found it interesting that there were two two pieces on this, and along with the New York Times article we're we'll talking about tonight. So uh, stem cell tourism is on the rise, and everyone should be aware of it. Um, Let's see. In cell reports, beta-catenin fluctuates in mouse ESCs and is essential for nanog-mediated reprogramming. Okay. So this is uh, Lucia Marucci. This is the first author. Um, so this is saying, you know, we know na- nanog activates the wind pathway um, and it enhances reprogramming activity, they're saying, by activating the wind pathway. And they show it's due to a 
Did you just throw something in the garbage yeah, can? Man, on your I'm computer? sorry. I am no, that's awesome. Trash it's, while you were that's doing exactly <laughs> what it sounded like. <laughs> sorry. So anyway, so they're saying that like beta catenin fluctuates in the ESCs, like embryonic stem cells, following like nanog dynamics, mm-hmm. and it's this beta catenin is is necessary in the nanog dependent conversion of these plori- of these uh, IPS cells. So so there's a really really important. Uh, component, wind component, beta catenin actually in regulating nanog um, and it's essential for the nanog mediated reprogramming. (laughs) What can't wind do? Yeah, I know, man. It's like, you know, you remember those old Bo knows, (laughs) Bo Jackson you you see Bo knows how to play golf. Bo knows how to Bo knows this, Bo knows that. That's wind. (laughs) Bo knows this. Yeah, what can't wind do? This is, uh, again, in Cell Reports. This is uh, first author is Raffaella D'Amico. De, De, De we know Raffaella. I know Raffaella. She's, uh, she's in the lab of Eva Hernando, which is at NYU. Uh, I met her a couple times. She gave a talk. Uh, I think it was at um, ISSCR, actually. Um, and the article was Control of ES Cell Identity by BRD4-Dependent Transcriptional Elongation of Super Enhancer-Associated Pluripotency Genes. I love super enhancers. Uh, so... They say that this gene BRD4 regulates uh, embryonic stem cell self-renewal and expression of pluripotency genes. And the inhibition of this BRD4 results in this commitment to the neuroectodermal lineage. Okay. And it said this BRD works by occupying the super enhancers of a core of stem cell genes and recruits transcriptional complexes. Um, so it's got, you know, these, you look at the picture, see these big, crazy complexes sitting on pole two and things like this. So it just offers a new regulation in, um, what you know, is this? this is in cell reports. This is a new regulation of pluripotency versus differentiation. So you can check that out. Nice, nice. Congrats to Raffaella. This is a stem cell, cell stem cell resource. Um, and it's called identification of regulatory networks in hematopoietic stem cells and their immediate progeny via integrated proteome transcriptome and DNA methylome analysis. So this is kind of crazy. They analyzed and identified 6,000 proteins, 27,000 transcripts, 15,000 differentiated, differentially methylated regions mm-hmm. uh, in hematopoietic stem cells and their progeny. So what they did, they took HSCs and they, you know, they differentiate them through all the stages, long-term self-renewal, multipotent, short-term self-renewal, multipotent, uh, multipotent myeloid bias, lymphoid bias, and at every stage they characterized the proteome, the transcriptome, wow. and really the epigenome. Wow! And they generated this incredible resource, looking at how all of that stuff changes through the through the context of lineage commitment. That's cool. Pretty 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 bad. It was pretty badass. So you got, the, you've got the gene changes, you got the proteins, you got the whole nine. And the epigenome, man, yeah. it's everything. Wow. Uh, and it's a really, really awesome, uh, comprehensive do, resource. Do they have metabolites? This is out of the lab of Andreas Trump. Do so, they have metabolites? Uh, the metabolome? I don't see the. Yeah, I don't see that ohm. That's the one thing they're missing. Is that's the one ohm <laughs> they're missing. Yeah. This was out of the journal of proteomics, proteomics and glycoproteomics of pluripotent stem cell surface proteins. So, you know, one of the things that people are really trying to understand is what's expressed in the surface of pluripotent stem cells, really like biomarkers would have a lot of use in cell transplantation therapies to identify where they are and such. This is actually a review that uh, summarized all the studies that have been done looking at proteomics and pluripotent stem cells. I thought that was pretty cool. People are into proteomics. You can go check that out in the journal of proteomics. This is in Stem Cell Reports, Reversal of Cellular Phenotypes in Neural Cells Derived from Huntington's Disease, Monkey-Induced Pluripotent Stem Cells. 
So they neuroprogenitor cell lines were derived from Huntington disease monkey IPSCs. So they made IPS for monkeys, turned them into MPCs. They differentiated them into GABAergic neurons, and they saw that these these uh, cells developed uh, Huntington's disease-associated cell phenotypes. And then they also responded to genetic correction and pharmacological treatments. So uh, this is a, a, a cool study looking at how we can use iPS cells to hopefully treat Huntington's disease. And they did it in the uh, in monkeys. So uh, you can check that out in stem cell reports. Good old monkeys. Yeah, there's something funny about monkey stem cells. I don't know what it is. Yeah, I know. Just saying it sounds funny. Um, so this is interesting. This is in plus pathogens. Stem cell transplant does not cure SHIV slash AIDS after irradiation of infected rhesus macaques. So this is building on the story of the Berlin patient uh, who was cured of HIV. Um, um, so remember, being HIV positive, uh, the Berlin patient underwent irradiation because they had leukemia followed by a bone marrow transplant. That abol- from a donor with a mutation that abolishes the function of the CCR5 gene, mm-hmm. right? And so um, basically this patient was cured, really, of essentially of AIDS or HIV. And they say several factors could have contributed to this. It was, one, the ablation of blood and immune cells following irradiation because you're killing off all of the, of the blood cells. Uh, and two, either two, or so one or two, the CCR5 deletion mutation in the donor cells protected them, right? Or three, a graft versus host reaction. So they're saying they couldn't rule out any of those. So what these guys, what this group did out of Emory is they worked with an animal model. So they used SIV, right? It's a simian immunodeficiency virus, a close relative of HIV, um, in, re- in rhesus macaques. And they used a total of six monkeys. Three were controls. And they performed for the first time a hematopoietic stem cell transplant in rhesus macaques infected with HIV. And so they harvested these stem cells from the macaques prior to infection. Then they treated, they treated the macaques with ART. I guess it's an antiviral to reduce the load and mimic basically the situation that a human HIV-infected patient would be. Then they exposed the monkeys. Um, so let's say they exposed the three monkeys from which they collected the hematopoietic stem cells to high-dose radiation, and they killed, basically killing off all of their blood cells. And you, know, so you, have, ones. You, have, you have three monkeys that had HIV now and three monkeys that didn't, mm-hmm. and they killed off all the blood cells, and then they put clean blood back in, mm-hmm. right? And they said that they were able to regenerate the blood and immune cells, and they did so in three to six weeks. But all of the three monkeys that had HIV continued to express viral and had a very still high viral load uh, down the line. And so what they're suggesting that is, I mean, again, they, 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 the first people to tell you that, look, it was only done with three mice, but their data supports the hypothesis that monkeys. monkeys. Okay. Yes, sorry. I'm saying mice. Sorry. They're saying that these stem cell transplants do not cure. It's not really the irradiation that's really doing it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it could be these other factors um, that that they have to look into. Well, as Maybe far the as CCR5 I know, the Berlin, mutant and things like yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. The Berlin patient's still uh, cured. I know there was a baby that was declared HIV-free and then it bounced back. There was a girl who uh, re- received like the high... Uh, heart treatment from you know right from birth on out and uh, she was declared HIV free and then it bounced back and they were like whoops I guess not but um the yep. Berlin patient as far as I know still he's going. still going yeah he's still doing well but that that whole procedure is not 
lovely. I mean, I, I forget the numbers. You have at least a third chance of dying from the procedure where they wipe out your, your blood cells and then repopulate it with a, you know, uninfectable immune system. Yeah, that's risky. Yeah. So anyway, I thought that was interesting. That was an interesting experiment. Um, the last, the last paper was in science. It was by, out of the group of Guy Savinjol. I think I said that right. Uh, he's in, uh, uh, university of Montreal and it's a basically discovered a molecule that boosts cord blood stem cells. And so um, they basically they found a way to boost the number of stem cells in umbilical cord blood so more patients with leukemia or other blood-related cancers could receive potentially life-saving transplants. So I guess part of the problem is like in the cord blood is just not – stem cell population is really, really low. And so this molecule, UM171, which they say was discovered serendipitously, which I feel like most things are um, – is basically get boosted 10 times. And so it basically, in essence, will go, give access to about 10 times as many cords or cord blo- in cord blood banks. Um, and kind of groundbreaking discovery for enhancing uh, the utilization of cord blood to treat uh, leukemia and other blood disorders. So you can find that in science. So I will end it right there, Yos, and we should probably move on to the next part of the show. Okay, Chris, why don't you bring on our guest? All right, yo. So we were talking about this uh, earlier in the show. There was a article um, in the New York Times. Uh, this, I think, it was September fifteenth. It was called "The Trials of Stem Cell Therapy: Stem Cells, Plenty of Hope, but Halting Progress." Um, the author was Karen Weintraub, and she joins us on the Stem Cell Podcast. Karen is a, a freelance health and science writer out of uh, Cambridge, Mass. Uh, Karen, welcome aboard. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, no problem. So. As a as a stem cell podcast, as you could imagine, we have a lot of uh, you know our, a lot of our audience out there are stem cell oriented, if you will. Some are scientists, some are advocates, and some people are just plain interested in it. So before we just get into the article, uh, as a science writer and someone's interested in health and science, tell me about your uh, fascination with stem cells. Do you uh, do you follow them? Are you into them? Do you do you have you been following them since this a relatively new? Uh, area of science that you've been uh, following and writing about, or have have you have a history with uh, stem cell science? I have a little bit of history. I worked at the Boston Globe ten years ago when Gareth Cook wrote his Pulitzer Prize winning series on stem cells, which put uh, stem cells on the map for a lot of journalists. In particular, uh, I was in the same on the same floor, sitting next to his editor uh, as an editor myself. So I got interested back then. And living in Cambridge, Mass, and reporting from here, there's you know, the Harvard Stem Cell Institute, uh, folks at MIT. So there's a lot of stem cell research going on around me that I'm familiar with, have written some about in the past. Yes, there is. We're, we have good friends there at HSCI, the Harvard Stem Cell Institute in particular. We had Dr. Kevin Egan on the show, which you mm-hmm. quoted in the article there, right. known him for some time. So, um, so one of the... Um, one of the responses we've been getting back from a lot of people is, um, you know, w- you know, why, why this article? And so, you know, I, I was wondering if you could just speak to maybe a little bit about um, why, why the article was written and the timing of it, if such, if, there's, if there is even a reason for that, if you could just talk to a little bit about why you decided to or, you know, write what you did and, 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 and about the timing of when it, when it was coming out. Sure. Well, broadly speaking, it was a response to some of the scandals that have been going on in stem cell research, particularly um, Dr. Obakata in Japan and, and the work at Riken. Uh, and then there was another that was done with researchers at Brigham and Women's Hospital. And there was another Brigham doctor who was involved in, in who had some papers retracted. So there had been these questions out there. 
and the Times realized they hadn't written about stem cells in a while and wanted an update piece. They asked me to sort of um, say, what what moment are we in? That was my my uh, goal in writing this story, is to capture the, the current moment in stem cell research. So it wasn't a negative or a positive piece, just uh, wh- where things stand in stem cell research. Yeah, and um, maybe we could actually, so we've uh, sort of covered why it was written. Let's um, talk about what actually uh, the article, uh, you know, the details of the articles, just for just because not everybody has obviously read it. So, sure. um, yeah, why, why don't you do Because I, I, I actually, I, I thought it was a fair assessment of what's going on, but... Um, and it was well quoted, you know, you, you talk to the right people. Um, but I think, you know, some people may have taken it the wrong way. I personally thought it was, you know, right down the middle. But um, let's talk about the details of what the article, uh, what you covered. Right. So I would say that the formative interview that I did was the hour plus I spent with David Scadden, who is one of the heads of the Harvard Stem Cell Institute. And he laid out for me, a lot of what's going on in stem cell research today that there my my what i took away from it was that we've learned a ton in the last 10 years we're not quite ready to cure everything solve everything but we made tremendous progress and specifically in understanding what cells to use in what contexts for which conditions and so it's a lot of little pieces of research. I was stunned when I looked at clinicaltrials.gov and came across 4,500 clinical trials currently underway in stem cell research. And actually, I think that was when I first started reporting it back in June, it's now, I looked the other day, it's 4,600. So it's just, there's so much research going on right now in this area. That's really exciting. I would also say that I've been following for some time uh, the folks who were concerned about stem cell tourism, people who go oftentimes to other countries to get stem cell therapies that don't have FDA approval that haven't been studied. And so I came, I, I will say that I came with a concern to the story with a concern for stem cell tourism with an awareness about that concern in, in the field. Um, so those are the two ideas, I guess, that, that shape the story. Also talked, obviously, to the folks in California uh, and, and got their perspective. They've launched 10 trials this year, clinical trials this year. So again, people are, are going from basic science to clinical trials uh, in the last couple of years. That seems to be what's, what's exciting, what's really happening now in the field. Yeah, you know, along those lines, Karen, and I, and I think that um, a lot of these claims that stem cell research has had you know, and I should say this, as a stem cell researcher, and we talk about this a lot, um, Yosef and I in particular, and I think Yosef sometimes even stronger than me, is that we're going to have to deliver at some point, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we, 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 are, we have been touting this research, and, and it, believe me, if I, I believe in it, and I truly think it's going to help millions and millions of diseases, or of people, I should say. And, but, you, you know, I think that when that's going to happen or or you know how that's exactly going to happen those those more grandiose promises i think those just kind of become misconstrued by the wrong people and when you talk about this stem cell tourism thing i think that's really a lot of where it's come from you know that's on mainstream news they did pieces on uh was it 60 minutes or something like that that ran something um uh, you know, and it's it's really preying on people that really don't have any other options. The ultimate sale, you know, pay fifty grand or you're going to die. We can fix you. A lot of people then really don't have any options. But I would I would say, Yos, I don't know if you disagree or agree. But I would say that the the 
the, the researcher in the lab, the, the more, more respected stem cell researcher would say that we're not there yet, uh, you know, and That's that, exactly. we're, and that we're, we're not, we're not curing everything just yet. And, uh, we, we've made, like you wrote, Karen, we've made significant progress in a short amount of time. And that includes a Nobel prize winning discovery that, that, that just right. recent, um, but I think that uh, I share your concerns with these people going abroad. And, you know, we're the official podcast of the International Society for Stem Cell Research, and they have taken a big effort. Um, this is a website called closerlookatstemcells.org where you can go and just, you know, if you're considering some of these treatments, um, you can go on and, and get, a, get a better look. But, you know, uh, along the lines of, of, of progress and speaking to a bigger, bigger topic in science, maybe not just stem cells, is, is funding. And as a science writer, I don't know if you've come across this when you were researching specifically for this story or just in your writing, but um, the, the research funding by our government in, for, for mm-hmm. biomedical science has just been, a, been a, just a disaster over the past, uh, especially five years and decade. And uh, I think that's something to really highlight when we talk about halting progress, not just for stem cell research, but for research in general. I don't know your take on that. No, no question. There's no question that that, that has, is having a tremendous impact on science today. There was a big boost, actually. Um, now I'm forgetting the dates. I think it was probably 2004, 2005 in, in research funding. And everybody assumed that that money would continue indefinitely. And so they built huge buildings. Harvard is an example of that. Um, and a, Again, assume and people went into it as a career, and they assumed that that money would always be there. And now, since then, there's been at least a 25% cut. Um, established researchers are saying that they're not getting funding for long-standing projects. Um, it's really changing the face of science today. Um, and I think the Harvard Stem Cell Institute, in some ways, is an example of of what happened. You know, back 10 years ago when the federal government said they wouldn't fund stem cell research with, uh, wouldn't allow new lines of, uh, stem cells to be created and Harvard raised private money in order to fund that research. That, that kind of thing is going on more and more in science today to enable the kind of research that, that researchers want to do that the government isn't funding right now. Uh, genetics is another example. The Broad Institute down the street from me in Cambridge is a, a genetics institute came out of Harvard and MIT and has been largely funded by the Broad family out of California to the tune of, I think they're maybe up to 800 million now, um, to do the kind of work that the federal government just is not supporting enough of anymore. Yeah, I, you know, I think uh, it's also important to frame uh, this whole uh, this whole topic. Um, I was talking with Chris before we started recording how Nixon in seventy one, you know, start this war on cancer, and over forty years later, you know, he was expecting by the next election cycle for it to be done. And, you know, it's 2014 and, you know, just starting to make, you know, promising breakthroughs, especially with like AML. Um, but, you know, it, it, considering that the first mouse stem cell line was 1981 and then uh, 17 years later, 1998, you get the first human stem cell line. And we're only 16 years into this this medium and... 
it, it seems like during that time we've had a hodgepodge of funding because it's not, you know, for the Bush years, it was pretty restricted. It's not like, you know, the National Cancer Institute or other, you know, everybody's wearing pink ribbons to, you know, fund stem cell research. It's sort of like Ice Bucket Challenge here, Park and Michael J. Fox there. Exactly. And so it's, you got this, uh, there have been hurdles and along the way, there's been a lot of progress, but I agree it's been marred by the Wusuk Wang incident, then, then the Stapp story, and um, and then this new phenomenon of uh, stem cell tourism, which I first became aware of with a Dan Rather report special in China where they were just injecting people uh, with spinal cord injury with no real... I don't know. Base, I didn't. It wasn't clear to me what they were basing that procedure on. Hope. Yeah, it's. It seemed like they were just preying on people's hopes and taking. A, you know, people were willing to pony up, mortgage their house, put up twenty grand to stay in the hotel, get the procedure done because their kid is in a wheelchair and it desperately sure. needs hope. So I, I feel like uh, I. I actually didn't really have any criticism of the uh, article, but I feel like uh, maybe. People need to know that we're in the framework of, you know, cancer. You know, I was just reading a quote to Chris from James Watson, the you know, one of the discoverers mm-hmm. of uh, DNA, that he was saying he thought a Vastin would cure cancer in two years. All these claims, and that was in 2004, it's 2014. So yep. there have been a lot bigger claims uh, by respected scientists than what have been made about for stem cells, I feel. Um, and I think there's a tension there between both between journalism and science and also um, in terms of scientists communicating with the public, where in order to get the public excited about the science, we have to talk about the great cures that are going to come from this work. But I think in general, people don't understand the pace of science. We've seen the same thing with genetics, where when the human genome was first mapped, now almost 13, 14 years ago, everybody thought, well, we have the blueprint for life. We've got the cures for everything. And, and then 10 years later, we were writing stories about, well, did the human genome fail? Well, no, it's just science takes a long time, and it's much more complex, as you were saying before, than, than, than we realize, and then we've get it, given it credit for. The more we learn, the more we realize how much we have to learn. Yeah, I mean, there's it was, the genome's a great point. I mean, look at autism. People thought, oh, once we figure out the genome, we'll figure out what causes autism. And it turns out, no, it's a spectrum. There's a ton of genes that happen. Epigenetics is involved. Uh, there's exactly. there's all sorts of genome clusters that come up and it's not so clear cut. Oh, you're missing this one gene. Or I mean, sometimes it is, but it's typically less than 10% of the cases are yep. that cut and dry. And so we're left with this black box still and people get and Chris will tell you I'm the first person to say that people you know the American public has put a lot of money into funding basic research and I think they've come to the point where it's you know post 2000 and they're saying where's the beef where's they want their cures <laughs> they're they're right. dumb I, you know i saw fox news had a headline uh nih supporting studying drunken monkeys and they were making fun of it and i just i was just shaking my head thinking oh my gosh three you're you're complaining about three million to study drunken monkeys and that's like one cluster bomb <laughs> well, i mean I, I, that's a good thing we've we've studied monkeys with ebola Right, exactly, too, so. exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I mean, I will say this. I'd like to look up some numbers, and this is kind of interesting, that over the past five years, the human embryonic stem cell research has averaged about 100 
150 million dollars, 150 million dollars a year from NIH in funding. Um, if you think about that number, that's really nothing. That's uh, that's pretty bad. Uh, so, and I know. I know there's been the controversy surrounding it, um, but and, and I know we have iPS cells and, and the new induced pluripotent stem cells, but the human embryonic stem cells is still the gold standard. It's still what we need to compare to. It's still really – we have two – um, you know, clinical trials now from uh, from ACT and Viacite using these uh, human embryonic stem cell derived derivatives. Uh, and and Karen, you brought up the concern of teratomas in the article. You know, there it's still a concern by scientists. We still have to make sure in the epic, I mean, in the safety data that we're looking at it. But you know, in all. Um, you know, it's been funded. I would suggest maybe it's underfunded. Maybe I'm biased, but so is everything else. So you can't completely hold that. I, I would say, like you were talking about, Karen, and when the people saying cures, you know, people try to fundraise and get money, and no one wants to give you money unless you're curing a disease. Mm-hmm. So in stem cells, we say we're going to cure your Parkinson's disease if you give us a million dollars. And I think that's kind of how that – so I think partly is scientists for fault. I think it's partly a little bit of piece, everyone's fault. But I, I think the takeaway should be um, – and I think Yosef agrees, and I'm sure you agree, Karen, that stem cells is a very active, it's a very, uh, um, it's a very hopeful area for biomedical research. I think it holds a tremendous, tremendous promise, has shown progress since its inception, and it's been a relatively short time. And uh, apart from the wacky wackos who want to try to capitalize off it, like everything else in our society, um, I think we should just really make sure you do the research and understand what you're reading and what you're, you know, what you're getting into before you really buy in. Um, I, I guess the last thing I would say and ask you, Karen, in, in, in this piece and in, in your research for it, you, know, you, you talked about how researchers are just trying to get familiar with what cell to use, what mm-hmm. stage of development they should be using in it. Um, you know, uh, you know what the researcher has to understand because it's so new. Right. I think a, a big part of it too is the FDA, right? I mean, this is very new for the for the Food and Drug Administration. Notice the word "drug" in there; it's not "cell." And the the FDA has to has to learn how to uh, regulate a human embryonic stem cell therapy that they're putting into a patient's brain. Um, and there's some going to be growing pains on that end too. So not only is the researcher experience growing pains, have, have you have, in your interviews with these scientists or have, did you come across anyone talk about the FDA and, uh, and where that state is with the, with stem cell research and, and the difficulties they might be having there? Yes, absolutely. In, in two different contexts. One was when I was talking to, to Dr. Skadden at, at Harvard, he was saying the same thing you just said about the FDA having to, to understand stem cells in a way they've never had to understand them before. Um, he was fairly complimentary in saying that they're, they're trying to understand them and they're trying to adapt current regulations uh, to, to, to accept stem cells, but that there may need to be some legislation changes because when, when rules were written, uh, they didn't, people didn't conceive of this being, being possible. I think the, the other example, Kevin Egan at Harvard is, looking at he's using stem cells in his research and trying to model diseases in stem cells instead of say in mice or in addition to in mice and getting approval even getting publications accepted from stem cells as opposed to animals um, has been tricky I think for for some of these folks it's just it's a different way of looking at these diseases that um, the regulators and the the publishers aren't used to seeing yeah, you know, that's a very good point, and, and this is something I, I think for the audience, for everyone to try to understand. The typical thing the FDA knows is drugs, right, and 
what they do is we test these in animals, rodent models, things like this. This is what's being done. However, right now, we have human embryonic stem cells, human pluripotent stem cells that we can derive tissues and cells from a human and test the drugs in that system. And the, it's, it's, the FDA still is requesting that data get performed in animals and things like this for efficacy. When we kind of have the model in human, just because it's an unknown, I, I guess this is maybe what Kevin was saying. So there needs to be, there will be a paradigm shift at some point. I'm sure it's, you know, it'll take time, just like we're talking about, just, just exactly. like their basic research. And, um, in the end, I just hope that, um, you know, it'll all come together and the research, basic research will get there. You'll have clinic, you'll have investment from, uh, private investment to help kind of take that to, to, to get into the clinic because, you know, that's where the real money gets needed then. Um, and then the FDA will be right alongside of it. So, so I think, uh, Karen, for everyone out there that, uh, for the people that might have wrote to us or to myself about this article and, and, you know, had suggested that maybe this was some sort of negative against stem cell research. I think that, in fact, um, it wasn't that. It was to highlight, like you said, where we are. But, in fact, there are negatives associated with this research because people have taken it there. And it's you have to be cautious and careful um, and, and to understand everything that's happening before you just dive into certain pieces, correct? Exactly. There's no question that there's promise to this research and that the potential is tremendous and thrilling. Um, we're just not there yet. And in that, in the absence of, of being there, I, I guess two, two things. One is that the public needs to understand that this is a process that takes a long time and also that, that people are filling this void right now with a lot of things that, that – a lot of legitimate scientists told me are very, very questionable. And uh, I got an email today from somebody who wants me to come to Peru with her to see this miracle treatment she's going to get for her lungs. So, you know, this is really out there uh, in the world right now. And the governor of Texas is expounding on the benefits of stem cell therapy that his doctor tried for the first time in him because he had a great yeah, I didn't. Uh, I didn't realize that Rick Perry had uh, stem cells injected into his back, which I just find amusing. I, I did not know that. Uh, he's a so, huge advocate. Yeah, yeah. I, I did not. I should say I did not talk to him for this piece, but he uh, he has gone um, been quoted repeatedly uh, as advocating for stem cell research. Well, stem cells, but makes not, for, embryo- not embryonic. Not embryonic. Oh, right. I see. And we should say uh, first of all, the name of the article is called "The Trials of Stem Cell Therapy: Stem Cells Plasticity." Oh, plenty of hope, and, but halting progress. And you do feature a guy there doing uh, some breakdancing moves with his yeah. uh, new heart. There, he's uh, his doctors say that with the injection of the stem cell therapy that he received, his heart is back to uh, one third of. Uh, recovery i think is right. what's it and he's able he yeah, said he was a third of his pumping ability and a, a third of that has come back so. and and he said it's it's been like night and day since the procedure so for his life it's already uh you know considering that human stem cells that like i said since 1998 uh going from soup to nuts that's pretty fast in the research world uh to actually start seeing these these forms of therapy so i i think in the context of everything else stem cells looks pretty good considering the funding you know all the hurdles 
versus you know what's been promised with other diseases and um so i i of course of course we're not biased on the stem cell yeah podcast, yeah we're course. we're a little biased <laughs> yeah yeah but so. um all right well listen karen thank you so much for coming on and just having a conversation with us about the article appreciate it and we'll look forward to reading more of your pieces as they come out thanks again appreciate the time thanks so much you guys no problem okay take care Okay, right, so, so that was good, yo. So I'm glad we had her on because I did get a lot of um, feedback that was kind of like, eh, you know, people weren't understanding of why she might have written the article or if it was negative. And I and I think that listen to write a state of stem cell research article is probably pretty difficult, right? There's a lot of crap you got to write about. So she tried to be give both sides, I guess, as best she could, and. Um, you know, I, I can see how that, that might have been misconstrued. At first, when I saw it, I thought it was negative. I was like, whoa, what is this article trying to put a blanket over stem cell research? But, you know, maybe as I read it and talked to Karen a bit more, I, I, I can, you know, can be a little bit more open to that. Yeah, I mean, I came about this article, like, organically. It showed up in one of my news feeds, and I, I, I read it, and I... I I thought it was a, you know, straight, she talked to the right people. She quote Dr. Egan and Dr. Scadden. And, um, I, I guess I had a different take on it. I'm, I guess a little less defensive, um, of the field. Cause she, like I said, she did point out, uh, some of the promising stuff that's already happened. That's happening right now in people's lives. And, um, that's important to tell this, you know, a narrative like that. So, yeah, um, people do get defensive. That's for sure. You know, you know how scientists get. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that was great to have her on. It's a, it's a little, it's a departure from the, the scientists we have come on the show. So, um, that was, uh, that was that was very nice. So we're gonna rant it out, take us out of the show, and so I will. I'm gonna turn. I, mean, I can see Joseph laughing already. I can't wait for the. Well, oh, I, I, have, um, I have a go ahead, man. I have go a ahead. silly, stupid rant. This is yes, this is like fun. this these is like one of the original Seinfeld type of rants where it's just I'm gonna rant about automatic doors in cars these days. I maybe it's me. automatic door, automatic uh, windows. Window, sorry, the automatic window function in a car. For me, I I'm I guess I'm retarded when it comes to this, but I can't get you know I just want to crack my window and then the automatic function just puts it all the way down and then I'm fighting to get it back up to the perfect spot and then it automatically goes all the way to the top and I get I can't for some reason get that one inch crack in my window without going up and down back and forth no you know what I'm always doing I'm always like constant I'm like double clicking and triple clicking and I'm like click 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 no 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 it's going all the way down or whatever you know you just want and then even in the winter time if it's like raining you know you just want to crack get a little air in you press the button the whole thing freaking thing comes down you got rain and snow coming in it's a mess <laughs> i i just why wanna, do you think they did that though I, people that lazy they can't hold the button down i i guess so and i feel like that that you know there's the halfway click and then the full click to go all the way down and i can't manage to halfway click it to you know go down just customizably i always somehow manage to go make it go automatically all the way down and this is a stupid ramp but it drives me nuts for some reason when i'm like just trying to get that perfect breeze in my car and yeah the perfect breeze is impossible nowadays it's impossible like you said and it's never like it's never as the scientists say it's never reproducible <laughs> yeah. you know like if you get it on a monday and then it's wednesday you can never get the same level of openness ever because it's it's you're freaking out with the button it's never right yeah and what, don't get me wrong i don't want to go back to the you know the, the crank the the crank i do not Dude, wanna... i like the crank <laughs> I, i'm a fan of the crank because you can have complete control over the crank 
yeah, but you know, the crank stinks when you want the other side to be open and the back windows and all that. So I, I just don't want, yeah. I, you know, I would give up the automatic function. Just I'll hold it all the way up or I'll push it all the way down just so I don't have to keep, you know, wrestling with this, you know, finding the Goldilocks theorem of uh, how to get my window down. <laughs> you know, the crank was a bad look when you were rolling up and trying to talk to like a female back in the day, you know, you would roll up slow down and you crank that thing real slow and by the time you know but you just wanted to say hi how you doing and by the time you cranked it like they were past um but you got good control i suggest maybe they have a uh maybe they have settings you know you press it once it gets down to it you can save it you know what i mean like if you get it to the perfect level you save it like a radio station like a preset like you press one it goes down a quarter you press two it goes down halfway that way it's you're not freaking out every time because i agree it's weird (laughs) yeah so that's my stupid rant for today High class problems yeah these are high class problems i feel like we We just just, uh lost like all of our under 20 or 25 year old audience with the crank crank. uh they're like i know i know plus you know we just you know we just got off started talking about people who are paying $100,000 to get their lives fixed from some hocus-pocus stem cell therapy, and our problem is the uh, automatic <laughs> car window opening, but I guess you got to make light of stupid situations in life, otherwise what else do you have? Yeah, man, it's a beautiful day. You want that perfect breeze blowing through your hair and your car while the music's pumping. This is this is a high-class problem for sure. This is a, this is a high-class <laughs> problem, man. This is, high, this is what we do on the stem cell podcast. Yeah. Anyway, all right, yes, we should... Uh, we should get out of here. End it there. All right. So, uh, yeah, man. Uh, guess I'll talk to you soon. Oh, we forgot to mention this is the one year anniversary of the Stem Cell yeah, Podcast. Yeah, this is the one year anniversary of the Stem Cell Podcast. So, uh, Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Thanks I, to everyone for listening to us and hearing Yosef and I talk about automatic car openers, amongst other things. Uh, we've uh, we've really had a good time, and uh, yeah, it's only going to get better from here. We got a lot of things planned, so you should all keep tuning in and. Uh, Take it to the next year anniversary. All right. I'll talk to you later. I'll talk to you soon. All right.